Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strong, Hagelbon on Twitter, and uh, today we're doing a solo podcast, uh, probably a shorter one. Uh, sorry for the lack of uh, content recently. Uh, we'll have this today and probably one on Friday if um, I can make that happen. But uh, I've been meaning to do this podcast for a while about the um, the Patreon changes, uh, particularly the ones that, uh, you know, indicate these new fees. Uh, obviously, I covered that on the Patreon itself. If you're a subscriber or if you're thinking of subscribing, go ahead over to patreon.com backslash Check out uh, the, the, the piece up there about the fees and about sort of the way I'm shifting the fees. But, um, beyond that, I had some like theoretical thoughts on it that I thought I might share, uh, cause people have been sort of been asking me to do more, um, left theory, Marxist theory, uh, which I'm more than happy to do. Uh, I'm probably going to start a little reading group, uh, in the new year for $1 patrons. So get on that. Uh, we'll definitely be doing some fun stuff. Uh, before I start that though, I wanted to say, People have been asking about ways to email me, uh, which I should have thought about before. Um, you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. All one word, all at gmail.com. I will read that and respond to it on the air. Uh, I can't promise I'll respond to every message, but uh, I will respond to all that I can. And if it's not an on-air response, I will uh, email you. Um, and if you have things to ask me or things to say, you can ask me there. I'm also Hagelbon on Steam, if you'd like to add me on Steam. Uh, beyond that, please follow at NoCartridge uh, on Twitter. Just NoCartridge. Uh, it is the Twitter account run by our bold and brave intern. Uh, it's excellent work, and you should be checking it out. And at Third Second is our new producer. Uh, you should definitely check him out as well. And at... Prodigious, P-R-O-D-I-G-I-S, is our theme song composer. I know all this stuff is kind of heavy to front load, but it's uh, it's stuff that I always feel like I forget, and I think I should say it to the larger audience. All these people are pulling together to make us really, really good work, um, and uh, it's, it's really starting to show. I think the quality is getting better, and it's not on me. It's on them. So uh, I really appreciate it, and you should check out all their work and support them. Um what I want to talk about a little bit was um, the the law of um, the law of relative surplus value, which you guys probably don't want to know about in as much detail as I want to talk about. So I'll make it quick. The law of relative surplus value basically says that if someone can't get sixteen hours of work out of you, uh, if by in this case or in most cases laws, right? Like there are laws about how many hours you can work. Right. Or how many, you know, how old you have to be to work. These laws are eroding, of course, but ostensibly these laws exist. Uh, if, say, there's a law saying you can only work eight hours um, and an employer wants to get 16 hours of labor out of you or the equivalent of what would be 16 hours of labor, they can just force you to work harder. Right. This is this idea of like work smarter, not harder. Um, you've heard that before, the idea of um, the gig economy itself, right? It's not about how many hours you do. It's about how many things you sell or how many rides you give. Um, these are all ways of getting around uh, legal systems that limit uh, employee time, right? Making time not the not the um, uh, arbiter of, well, how to say, arbiter of labor production, but in fact, the boss's demands the arbiter of labor production. Street Fight Radio does a lot on this, uh, not necessarily in these terms, um, which is actually better. Uh, um, but they'll talk about, you know, how how jobs will generally like colonize all of your time. And the idea of colonizing your time, I have a lot to say about working from home as far as this goes. That's another way of eroding uh, uh, time off. 
uh, all of these things are sort of like concessions we give thinking they're very good things. Uh, but they sort of empower employers over time and in dialectical or nuanced ways uh, to take more and more of our time away from us. Uh, so my favorite instance of this in writing, um, as I've told many people online at this point, is um, in Marx in his chapter uh, in Capital called The Working Day, which is all about the, the incipience of the eight-hour day. And um, Marx, as is often missed, is actually in favor of the eight-hour day as opposed to the 16-hour day, much in the same way he's um, in favor of capitalism as opposed to feudalism, right? Um, the thing about Marx is he's never really happy with the, the end point. Um, he's not happy with capitalism. He's not happy with the eight-hour day. And so you'd have to ask, why is he not happy about the eight-hour day? And so the working day works through this, right? It's, it's, a, it's a very smart chapter because it gives you a sort of Victorian account of this, um, you know, Victorian literary account, excuse me, of like the horrors of the long working day. And then shifts imperceptibly to this point that like, yeah, in fact, in the end, even the employers were rooting for the eight hour work day because once you figure it out as the employers do that, yeah, you can still get the amount of labor we got during 16 hours. We just need to make them work harder. We need to use different machines. We need to hire less people, right? There's ways of maintaining profit, um, which is of course uh, the, the sort of like maintaining uh, the rising rate of profit uh, falling recently as, as we see in uh, Piketty, um, is something that's interesting in the recent moment, but for Marx, the rising rate of profit uh, is, is of course, uh, still active, still happening, and it is because capitalists tend to work around these problems, right? So as he says at the end of the chapter, this is from um, this is I'm I'm using the Penguin edition. Um, uh, the uh, the translation I think is by I'll I'll tell you. Um, this is actually probably important. The translation is by Ben Fawkes. Uh, I like this edition. I think it's a good one, and it's uh, cheap. Um, Mark says at the end of the chapter, in the pomp, in place of the pompous catalog of, quote, the inalienable rights of man, there steps the modest Magna Carta of the legally limited workday, which at last makes clear, quote, when the time which the worker sells is ended and when his own begins. Quantum mutatis ab illu, which means what a great change from that time, quote from Virgil. Um, so this is uh, this is important because, of course, like what he's saying is, yeah, you, you originally have inalienable rights of man, right? Like all men are created equal, all, all people are created equal, whatever, right? We're sort of familiar at this point with these sort of like um, the maxims that we all sort of agree aren't real but exist, right? Um, what Marx says is like, yeah, look, like you have these things and then um, you give them up and you, you, you sort of say into the new contract is – um, I get to decide, I, you know, I get a set amount of time that's mine and the company gets a set amount of my time that's theirs. Um, now, this division of theirs and mine is, seems really good and is in a lot of ways very good. It means they can't make you work for 17 hours a day, right? Um, but the bad part about all this, of course, is that you are stuck in a um, in a system by which you have literally given eight hours of your day away. You can't get it back. It's their time. It's company time. The idea of like stealing company time comes right out of this sort of legal um, uh, maneuver. So it's really it's really important to sort of understand that the eight hour day introduces the idea of company time, which then introduces its relative rate of surplus value, um, which for Marx is basically translated as your boss makes you work harder to make up the fact that you can't work 14, 16, 18 hours for them. Um, how does this connect to Patreon? It connects to Patreon in terms of this idea of giving things up, um, indicating uh, where we're willing to, to shift in order to have capital keep gaining on our um, various freedoms, let's say. It's a little dramatic, but okay. 
Um, and a lot of this comes from the manipulation of um, the sort of like middle ground, right? Middle managers. In this case, I'm essentially a middle manager for you as far as Patreon goes, right? I create stuff and Patreon gives it to you. But in a sense, Patreon is the overarching like umbrella, right? They are the transition system. They are the content uh, providers. So they get to determine a lot of the logistics and terms upon which you and I transact. Um, in this way, they, they sort of act as the um, overarching uh, uh, power that be. Uh, sometimes this would be called the middleman, someone who supplies you things, right? Um, but I think, honestly, they sort of operate more in this kind of digital wild west of, uh, of uh, crowdfunding and, uh, and patronage as a sort of uh, determining governmental system, almost like a CEO um, of our podcast. Uh, and so as the CEO... They get to say things like, yeah, you know, creators should have more money, which is, of course, the way they're spending the, the fees. Um, and creators should have more money comes to be this sort of like um, perfectly branded, nice statement, much like we need a shorter workday. And, you know, it's not untrue. But the question we need to be asking and the question that's hard to ask in this situation, the question, you know, to their credit, a lot of people have been asking um, is that, you know, what? what's the cost of this creator uh, benefit? What's the cost, right? And the cost ends up being, well, we charge patrons a little more, right? Um, and then you ask, okay, so is that just helping the creator? And the answer is, of course, no, um, for two reasons. One, the obvious reason that people being charged more might drop their patron patronage. That would be bad. Uh, that would not give more money to the creator. It would simply just like make sure that only you know the the more wealthy among our patrons could continue to to support us at the same level. Um, the other question is uh, the other answer to the question of who benefits is uh, Patreon benefits. Patreon gets a little uh, a little more of a cut uh, when they're not paying the 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 card fees. Um, and so you know the math's out there. I won't go through it on the podcast. But the the interesting thing here is of course. Who does this affect? Well, it affects people who aren't, uh, who are sort of wealthy enough that they're not looking at their bank statement every month. They sort of just like accept the Patreon's going through. And if that's the case for you, thanks. Uh, I, I don't begrudge you that uh, by any means. But um, those people predominantly support more successful Patreons insofar as like as a Patreon gains uh, recognition. We'll use uh, Chapo Trap House as an example, but I'm not, uh, I'm not casting aspersions on them here either. Um, you know, can't judge someone by who gives them money uh, necessarily, especially in this kind of system. Um, the, the the more a Patreon gets uh, exposure, uh, the more it gives a sort of like um, aura about it and the more people with more money are willing to sort of like invest in it. So at a certain point, these become investments in a brand. Um, and once the investments happen, those aren't necessarily uh, people say like who are uh, submitting, who are uh, uh, helping no cartridge, who are putting in like a dollar, three dollars, five dollars a month, where it's like you want a little extra content, you want to help me. We sort of have this uh, symbiotic relationship. Uh, the the fees impact the people who want that symbiotic relationship. And sure, I can lower the cost, but at a certain point, people are going to say like, yeah, do I still want to keep paying the four, the 450 even? And maybe not. And you reconsider. Um, and that's fine. It would be okay if you reconsidered. But Patreon is knows that this reconsideration is going to happen. They understand how human nature works. Um, and then they also understand that um, it doesn't really so much matter if a bunch for them, if a bunch of smaller creators fall out and it's just a bunch of bigger creators and they're getting more money and they get to still rep those bigger creators in their advertisement models, 
<laughs> they're going to make out just fine. Um, and that's not vilifying Patreon. It's not even vilifying the creators or anything. Um, I think it was a bad choice the Patreon made. I disagree with it. I think it was um, wrongheaded and at its worst, um, mean-spirited and uh, inconsiderate of people who just want to give money to people who they want to see create. Um, people who aren't treating this as a transactional service, right? Which I think is a lot of us. Um, you know, myself, you, everyone who's like sort of interested in Patreon, I think a large percentage of those people don't view this as transactional. But this fee shifting makes it more transactional, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's a wrong choice. I think it is in choice perfectly in line with the systems of capitalism that we are led to understand and appreciate from Marx on to today. Uh, I think the working day chapter shows us this, and I think understanding this as something that is not a limited and isolated moment in the expression of, of um, uh, the evolution of capital is important. Uh, because it lets us understand that this is not some sort of like new, you know, oh, what are we doing? We're in we're in some sort of like wilderness of the Internet. It really is the same old thing. We're given a sort of uh, benefit, particularly us in the middle of, of the uh, transactional equation. Um, uh, we are asked not to question that benefit. But of course, questioning the benefit reveals the actual costs of that benefit and the things we're willing to give up. Um, so insofar as giving up your hours to a company then suddenly becomes, oh, why don't you work from home? And now none of your hours are really yours. They're all mixed. Or, hey, why don't you get time and a half? Uh, you can't say no to this time because you need the money, uh, but it means we can charge it. We can actually like uh, keep you on, on staff a little longer. Uh, that's relative surplus value too. Um, the, the things we give up tend to have repercussions moving forward. So the question is here, what do we give up by saying, yeah, the patrons can pay more if I get more? How are we impacting the relationship between patron and um, and Patreon, right? Like, how are we sort of like figuring out, uh, how are we impacting, let's say, my relationship with you uh, as listeners? Even if you're non-patrons, how are we affecting my relationship with you? And how is that um, impacting, or in this case, as I would argue, not impacting the perception of Patreon uh, in the long run. Uh, I think those are important questions to ask, and those are the questions I'm asking right now. Uh, and in part, the reason why I'm going with this leftist reading group uh, starting in the new year. Uh, so again, um, thanks for listening. Any sort of suggestions or questions, please send over to nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. I will read them. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing if you do at the Patreon. Thanks for giving at the PayPal if you do. Um, and thanks just for you know rating, reviewing, subscribing, uh, getting us a little bigger. This has been a lot of fun to do. I'm sorry this one wasn't particularly about video games, but the one on Friday will be. Uh, and um, yeah, tune in next time and uh, we'll see you then.